Hello everybody, welcome to Coach Gethin Radio. I'm joined here today with Carolyn Morgan. Carolyn is the Senior Performance Analyst for England Rugby. Kaz, how are you today? Good mate, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Out of curiosity, could you just give us a rundown of what you do as a performance analyst? Um, I think it's it's a field that's evolved over the last 10 years because it's, it's relatively new still. But um, I guess my job really is uh, first and foremost sort of the basics of analysis um, to provide information, um, video information, data to uh, coaches and players to help them improve and for us to use those different methods to try and identify you know where we need to improve if we're playing against certain opposition you know using uh, video and data to, to almost get a good picture of what we're up against so um, I think that's kind of like the brief overview of what performance analysis is. I think it's now gone into a little bit of a bigger field in the sense that um, now it's a little bit more, it's going into depth in terms of how you learn. Um, you know, you can produce all this sort of information, um, but actually it doesn't really mean anything if you can't transfer it to, to your to your environment or your audience. So I think that's a route it's gone down. Um, which is an interesting one. I think there's quite a few things that dovetail off the back of that as well. So the so the role's forever changing. Um, but yeah, first and foremost, I guess our job is to deliver information, if I had to summarise it, deliver information or key information to uh, coaches and players to improve. As Peter Drucker once put it, what can be measured can be managed. So it's an important role. Nice. Nice. I like that. So, out of all the roles in sport, why did you take a performance analysis specifically? Um, it's an interesting one. Um, I, I'm go back to we we worked together at the Vale, didn't we? Yes, I I um, I started off working in the the I guess the training uh, the physical profession. So I started doing a little bit of that, looking into S and C when I came out of university after doing um, a sports science degree. Um, and the interesting thing was is that you do a sports science degree it's quite general you know you can go down different routes you can go down physio you can go into coaching you go into um, psychology um, you go into analysis although it wasn't wasn't about as much then as probably some of the other areas but I um, yeah I started off doing doing personal training and stuff and then I got um, a gig with uh, an internship an unpaid internship with Bristol and Filton College and just had a bit of a bug from it for it from there really and um, that was it as soon as that that happened like you say you just you become obsessed with it um, and that was that was the start really and then it was just on to the next thing on to the next thing and and almost spending all that time in university not knowing what you're going to do afterwards and then falling into something you weren't sure about and um and then when you when you fall into it you it it's you know it grows into something something bigger than you ever thought it would be that would actually be very reassuring for people who are not sure what to do after university you won't always have it all figured out but for people who do want to go into your profession what roadblocks are they likely to come up against throughout university the internship and 
being as high level as you are, what struggles may people come about? Um, I guess I guess the big one's opportunity. Uh, like you said there, I think a lot of people want to work in professional sport. Um, people want to work in professional sport, but they, they don't know what they want to do, so they they kind of float around different things and until you know precisely what you want to do. Um, and then when you do know that's what you want to do, there, there is, you know, professional sport, there isn't as many jobs out there. You know, it's not like, um, it's not like your, your basic job. It's, you know, for example, you only have two, two to four analysts in a team. Um, some have one. Um, and it's the same, it's the same all around professional sport. I think opportunity is probably the biggest thing. So I, uh, the, I think one of the biggest obstacles and solutions to that is that, that yeah, you've got to take your opportunities when you get it. Um, but to be proactive with it as well. I mean, like I think back to some of the work I did when I first started, it was probably some of my best work because I was just desperate to find a way in. Um, and again, that just meant I was constantly evolving and thinking of the next best thing. Like what? It's like, oh, how can I make this better? Um, and I think when you go into professional, sorry to, to di- divert a little bit away, but when you go into professional sport, everyone goes through and you get a big job. Um, you do have that sense of thinking that you've made it a little bit, but that's the probably the, the worst year or year and a half that I spent where thinking I was actually really good. Then I've kind of gone back to evolving and trying to get things better so that's that's a big thing for me i think that's the biggest, biggest obstacles opportunity um and i think to, to solve that you've got to a you're going to know what you want to do um b you've got to be really proactive and, and you've you like i said i use that word obsession i was obsessed um about finding ways to analyze things differently and, and better um I, the other thing with that as well get is like finding a niche you know what 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 is everybody else doing? Uh, um, where's where's the gap or where's the next thing? So that was always that's always excited me as well. You touched on two important points there. First of all, whenever you go up a level in elite sport, you are effectively going to be a beginner again. And in all areas within the fitness industry, I think it's important for any of us to be able to find a niche. So my next question would be. Whilst working with England Rugby, is there anything going into the role that you didn't expect? Is there anything within working at this level that surprised you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think I was fortunate that I I worked with a variety of coaches. So the, the I didn't understand. Um, first and foremost, I worked with uh, younger players to start with. Um which was very, very different to, particularly with analytics now. Um, I worked with younger players to start with, um, which was different in the sense that you, 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 your analysis is more around trying to grow a player's understanding, uh, not to, not to, you know, throw loads of data at them, not to, to be really negative, to be more positive. And then I went into. Uh, I guess working with with Eddie and the senior team, it was uh, a lot more challenging because the environment was different. It's it, it's high pressure. It's those small margins. So I get I the 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 big thing when going into um, probably my most recent job was the level of detail 
uh, and preparation that goes into everything. And I think that's the, I obviously you, you people always speak about being well prepared, but this was a whole new level for me in terms of, um, you know, that all, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes is, mm. is quite frightening. Everybody's doing their own thing. Uh, everyone's preparing in their own way for one goal, essentially. There are many factors which separates an elite performer to an amateur performer. But other than the obvious, such as work ethic, technical proficiency and fitness level, do you believe that there's any specific trait that an elite performer has that an amateur performer doesn't? Is there anything that makes them stand out from the crowd that people may not have thought of? Yeah, that's a great question as well. I think I, I already touched on preparation, um, but the big one for me is um, is around this, uh, trying to careful my words here, but more down this psychology route. Um, uh, people use words like confidence, uh, attitude, and the the big one that's all stood out for me is mindset, and that's the difference between um, the elite of the elite. Uh, the top end is their mindset, and that's their mindset around everything. So, like, obviously, and the more pressure you get, the more media scrutiny, for example, and and some of the best players, how they deal with that, I think, is separates them from the best and they they can almost block that out because of their mindset it's they're just focusing on the things that they can do not what they can't do i think that's that's probably the biggest difference is being able to to have a mindset um of blocking out the distractions because the higher up you go the more distractions you get basically um I, i know i'm speaking specifically about media a bit there um, but it's it's other things as well. Like it's it's um, working, you know, working with with teammates becomes becomes more challenging. All the little things sort of add up. So it's it's being able to to deal with those distractions and, and stay focused. I guess if that makes sense. Hope it does. It makes perfect sense, and it actually sends a terrific message to my crowd, who are trying to earn a soccer scholarship because they don't have as many distractions as an elite athlete would have despite, you know, suddenly taking an interest in girls, their schoolwork, etc. It doesn't get easier from there, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. I think you're right. I think, um, and that goes into, for me, that that's a real, that's a real good point to touch on, elite mindset. So I think loads of players that become a professional player it's like right a sigh of relief I've done it you know I've, I've done it and I think that's that is the the cream of the crop really is those guys that I mean this um, a good one to reference this guess is the um, Last Dance documentary by uh, I don't know if you've seen it yet but it's or anyone's seen it it's on this it's you know, like you look at Michael Jordan um, and everything was about the ne- the next the next thing um you know, he had he had so much hype around him, around the draft, around everyone saying, you know, this this guy's the best. But that was never he never got distracted by that. It was the next it was the next thing. Um, and again, I think that that documentary dovetails into that that comment a little bit. Despite researching Michael Jordan's jump mechanics, shamefully I haven't actually seen that documentary, although I have read Tim Grover's book, Relentless. Uh, he was Michael Jordan's trainer. 
I'll be sure to mention that book, and as well as that, I'll mention that documentary in the show notes. It sounds interesting. Yeah. So, would you encourage young athletes to go about some sort of psychological coaching, whether it's hypnotherapy or maybe seeing a psychiatrist? Uh, it's good. Uh, again, interesting one because I think first and foremost, uh, a young player's um, perception of a psychologist per se is that it's um, it. If you bring a psychologist into your environment, it's seen as oh, we need to fix something. Um, I met a guy called Vin Walsh, who's like a brain. Re- he's one of the youngest brain researchers in in the UK. Like really fascinating bloke. Um, I, I learned a lot from he, he taught me a lot around learning styles and and that and that type of thing because uh, he's obviously an expert in that area and one of the things he said to me was around he started going to psychology um, he works at Fulham now and he spoke about that quite heavily was that the, he he didn't call himself a psychologist he called himself like uh, just another coach really because he was he was just trying to he was just trying to support people and, and get them to get better so first and foremost that the issue is is perception and i think with young players you got to be careful is that straight away uh if if you know if they start working with a psychologist at a really young age they start thinking oh well uh, i've got problems and they start overthinking things you don't want them to do that you want them to be autonomous and authentic but i think i think the skill i, I think lots of the best coaches in the world get so like snc um rugby football coaches you know like skills coaches i think the best coaches are their own psychologists and again it goes back to understanding your players uh understanding your athletes and again yeah you can bring people in to help but i think first and foremost the coach needs to be uh needs to be a psychologist as well like and again it goes back to knowing knowing your people um and again you know, Joe Bloggs might need a he might need a push on day one, but day two you might need to take take your foot off the brake, and all that comes from from good coaching, I think. I'm totally with you. Whether you're a personal trainer working in elite sport or in a sports club, I think all coaches should become a psychologist. And whenever I talk to a new personal trainer, that's usually the first piece of advice I give them is to actually get into psychology. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and I, I mean, I mean, if I if I asked you, you know, what about your athletes? I'm sure you could you could sit down here for ages and and speak about um, not not necessarily oh he can do X Y and Z in the gym, but you'd you'd speak about some of the some of the mental s- skills as well. You know, well he's he's very good at um, he he takes he prefers learning this way um, feedback wise. You know, uh, straight after an event, I won't I won't go at him because you know, that's when he's in the set. Again, it goes back to all these little things. I think a good sign of a good uh, coach, again, is those conversations and those reflections. A lot of it will be psychology and obviously the, the technical expertise areas as well, which is important. 100%. When I first met you, you were working your socks off in multiple roles. So my question is, what strategies do you have to manage your heavy workload? Do you have any kind of habits or rituals that have managed to help you to deal with everything that you have going on? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really, um, 
this topic's fascinating for me because I think um, you're right. I did. I, I, I'm pretty sure at one point um, I had like four or five jobs, to, and that wasn't just an analysis. It was like you say in the gym. I think I was working in the hotel bar. Yep. Um, I was doing an internship for for Bristol and Filton. I was doing bits on the side for the the company I actually work for now. Um, yeah, so I, it's an interesting one. There's there's a guy called Frank Dick, and he he speaks about um, he speaks about uh, he, he was a uh, sorry Olympic Olympic athletics coach. Um, he spoke about three lane motorway in his book called Winning, and it always resonated with me. Um, your first lane is yourself, uh, so you know what your reflections, you know what what keeps you happy all that sort of stuff your, your second lane is your friends and family so staying connected to your friends and family and then the third lane is your career and he said um once you once you get in the third lane and you're driving 100 miles an hour you're driving 110 miles an hour next thing you know you you'd stay in the third lane you basically you don't go to the second and first lane and it was a real good lesson for me probably when i got to sort of 20 25 26 and like you say mate it was i everyone falls into that trap and i i contradicted myself a little bit i used that word obsession earlier i think i i fell into that trap of um it was everything um you know luckily i've got a i got a i got a wife that's really supporting of of the job i do because uh, it's obviously quite demanding um but that was that was the big thing for me was uh, taking a step back a little bit, um, you know, spending more time with her, um, and again that gave me better perspective on on my career really and where where I wanted to go because you spend your whole time in the third lane, you're going so fast, you can't even think about what the you can't even it, you know give a vision of what the next five ten years are going to look like, and I think until you can get back to the second and first lane, so you get support from your friends and family, and then ultimately your reflected in that first lane um you, you don't know what that looks like and i think that's really important i i i'll openly say this i've done um i do i think meditation's an interesting one now a meditation by the way doesn't mean you know you sit with your legs crossed and and you do all these breathing exercises it, a meditation could be cooking uh it could be walking the dog it, it looks like different things and you, i think you've got to find that it in your role in professional sport, like, you know, you've got to find a way to, to switch off. Um, and I, I've done some, I, I use a, an app called state, which I think is absolutely brilliant. It's very simple. It's just breathing exercises. It's, uh, five to 10 minutes a day. You can do them in the morning, evening. There's, you know, there's different techniques to, to calm you down and, and, and help you get focused as well. So that, that's one technique I use. I find it really helpful. So you mentioned somebody called Frank Dick. Uh, I do apologise. Can you please uh, tell me the name of that book again? It sounds really interesting. Uh, Winning. It was one of his first books, yeah, called Winning. Brilliant. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. Personally, I use a meditation app called Calm. Yeah. And you said you use Stay. And I just think meditation is so valuable. And you're quite right, actually. Meditation doesn't have to be this traditional practice. It could be as simple as, as you said, cooking, walking the dog. Yeah, hundred percent. So you said you use calm. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's um, 
because I think there's another one called Headspace. And I think it, what what it is is it, it what works for people. Because um, what you don't want is you don't want uh, to do something and then it's like, ah, uh, you know, you've done it for two or three weeks and it's it's gone. You need to find something that works for you. And and that's uh, and again, I, I recommend steak, but that's it's worked for me because uh, it's just very simple and it's not long. Um, but again, like different, different. I know, I know, I've got a few mates who, who use med. Uh, Wim Hof, I think, is another one. Uh, he, he's he's another expert in that field. But like, um, it's what works for you. I think is the important thing. And I think professional sport, as you know, like you, you probably same, same boat in terms of you just you lose yourself sometimes. And I think you've got to um, you've got to find ways of not necessarily meditating, but finding ways to switch off, if you like. You touched on Wim Hof there. Uh, a very interesting character. I know he holds multiple world record in these thermological challenging environments. He's a bit of a nutter. He's done various things. For example, walking up mountain tops in the snow wearing nothing but his shorts. He's a bit of a lunatic. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Again, I, I don't know of him, but I know I know some players use his... Uh, he does like um, videos and stuff. I know some players use use his um, his videos to help them relax and switch off. Are you referring to people at all levels? Do people at an elite level actually use Wim Hof stuff as well? Yeah, elite level definitely. Um, again, I, I haven't had uh, experience uh, with the younger lads. It's not. I think with the younger guys, you see less of it. I think the more mature guys who the older guys, bit more experience, understand it a little bit more because there's, there's a huge culture over here now. I think um, of you know it might be an ex-British epidemic, but again, I'm thinking ahead here. But this whole um, you know like no sleep, um, work hard. Um, you know, you're working 14. Some people working 14, 16 hours a day. It's like this. It, we, we've grown a culture over here where it's like we become obsessed with working hard essentially um and sometimes we can't see the wood for the trees in that in that in that sense so i think some of the older guys are much better with it cuz they they've experienced some of the negative sides to to the way culture is now i actually believe that you need to be confident and you need to have maturity to be willing to actually look after your mental state in the first place yeah I think it's more important to see looking after our mentality as a part of our training as opposed to we're looking after ourselves because there's something wrong with us. That's not always the case and it's still worth looking after our mental health. Yeah, 100%. I think the point you just made there is is bigger than sport, isn't it? You know, it's 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 modern day society and I, I think I, I couldn't agree more, 100%. I think as well, once upon a time, people would have looked at us as if we were nutters, if we were working all day at such an intensity. But these days, it just seems to be popular. It's almost as though this is the sexy thing to do, which is quite bizarre. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true, isn't it? And look, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't work hard. Like, and like, you'd be the same as you, mate. You know, you still work hard, but you've got to you've got to find time to switch off. It's just about being smart. I think. Um, 
you know, being being smart because the reality is you you'll end up doing um, you'll end up doing more anyway if you if you sleep right, you eat well, you you know you look after yourself uh, from a physical and mental point of view. You'll end up working harder anyway, or working more. I said working smarter, I should say. That's actually quite an important point, to be fair, because if you look after your general health, then that does include your mental state. It will make you more productive. You will actually be able to get a lot more work out of fewer hours if you do take these things into consideration, I suppose. Yeah. So, going away from this topic, young people often struggle to navigate their career path, especially in sport, because, you know, there's so many options out there. Yeah. How would you advise people to research the different opportunities that are out there in the world of sport? Yeah, I think, um, I think there's probably, I guess it's different in different disciplines. Like ours, for example, is there's probably a, like a real dearth of, um, connectivity online if you like there's no there's not a great deal around analysis there's a couple of websites which are quite good um but the the big thing for me is like um and another reason i got into this field is is your connections i think the you know that's the way the world works is that you you connect up with someone then you connect with another person and then um it goes on to the next thing and and i think you should just you know, should try your hat at um, asking if you can go go into different environments and and learn from there. Um, but yeah, that my biggest advice would be is to get actually get out there and, and try and try and meet as many people as you can. And like it goes back to the comment. This was off 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 the air or it was on the air. But me and you spoke about um, you know being uncomfortable. Uh, and often that is uncomfortable. You know, you walk into this this whole world one day but you know if you can start linking up with people I, that's that's the biggest advice i'd give is just try and connect with as many people as you can um yeah and i think i think there's loads that i obviously that you start doing that online but again it's just it's just a a trickle a domino effect as soon as you start linking up with one guy then he you know links up with another another person and you go on and on and on and that's been. Um, I still try and do that quite a lot now because I, again, I, one thing I was always told is, even if you're say someone's speaking to you and you don't like them, I luckily not many people I don't like, but it's it, say someone's speaking to you, you don't like them, and they're telling you this or you're telling you, you should do that or you don't believe in their methodology or what they're speaking about. There's always something you can learn from them. You can always take a nugget from someone. And that's always been my approach. So I, I, I always try and connect it with as many people as possible for that reason, really. I can't remember who said this, but I've heard this old quote which goes, your network is your net worth. And I suppose that remains true in sport as well. Yeah. And yeah, I think we did talk about discomfort off the air, but I'm actually quite thrilled that you brought up that point because I think it's such an important topic. I suppose... Whether you want to develop physiologically or build relationships, you have to be willing to experience discomfort. It's crucial for success. Yeah, definitely. I, and uh, Paul, I, I know you, you obviously you work 
well, you work more on the individual sports, but I've always found team sports to be really beneficial for that. Like, um, you know, I think back to used to play football and rugby, and the reason I chose rugby really, I loved them both, but the reason I chose rugby was that after the game, you know, you'd have you'd have a good chat with your with your mate or your teammate. Um, and again, it's those those skills I think, or or being part of a team, understanding the values and understanding you, you're all working together to get to one place. And I think that relates to, to this world as well. You know, like if you know, if I asked you something, mate, I'm sure you uh, you know I, I say, Geth, I need need a hand with this. Um, you'd help me out, and then you know the next day you might want something from me, and I'll help you out. And I I think I think this like you should also avoid sort of secret sharing and uh, all that sort of stuff. And like I said to you before this, like be as open as possible because you're going to, you're going to, you're going to get it back at some point. Yeah. I'm totally with you there, Kaz. I suppose authenticity uh, is the best way to open doors. Going away from this topic now, there's effective coaches, but as you know, there's ineffective coaches. I'm curious as to what you believe the difference is between an effective coach and an ineffective coach. Is there any specific trait that comes to mind? For example, I personally believe that numerical tracking is important. I think many coaches don't actually take numbers into consideration within their practice. Uh, yeah, it's probably few. that's quite an interesting one. What just to elaborate a bit more on that? What do you mean by um, do do you mean like the like uh, like a poor coach would uh, avoid numerical tracking? I wouldn't say they actively avoid it, but they wouldn't consider it in the first place. So a couple of examples would be a personal trainer who doesn't track somebody's weight, or a speed coach that doesn't test someone's thirty meter sprint. Yeah. I just think these are important. Yeah. No, I think that it, yeah, I just see what you mean now, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that that would definitely be one of them for me is um it's it's a little bit um different in like say team sports, evasion sports particularly because there's objective measures and there's subjective um so that that makes it really challenging, but I 100% agree if if you if you can track something, I think you need to keep on top of it. Um I think one of the skills privy to that is actually how you deliver information to 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 so that tracking information to the the athlete, the client, uh, the player, um, whatever you want to call it. Um, how you deliver that information is really important as well. Like I go back to what I've said previously on the podcast was that um, you know it's not it, they they know when you know when you players they might not want the, the right time might not be to give that information to them you need to give them a bit of a boost so those results might show negative so again it's I think it's yeah 100% identifying what the what the key things are um, knowing your knowing your your clients if you like more of a business word mm. knowing your clients and then actually the, the transfer of, of how you do that I think is really important I, th- I think uh, the Coaches, coaches being uh, best coaches I've ever seen are, are ones that can. I'm probably speaking a little bit more specifically about rugby and football here, guess. But ones that, issues I see is you get two types of coaches. You get really detailed ones, 
So the focus on the the finer, minute details. And then you get ones that are bigger picture. So they look more like a holistic, almost like a drone view of what's going on, like more tactical type coaches. And I think the best coaches are the ones that can bounce in and out of that. So they're not too hung up on the detail, but they understand it and you know, they, they can they can deliver information on detail, but actually they can see the bigger picture as well. Uh, I, I call it like being in the bubble and out of the bubble. So, you know, being in the bubbles, all the understanding all the detail and then the stuff outside of that as well. So I think that's a real big skill of coaching. I, I, I said that's specifically the team sports, but I think it's everything really. Everything you do, you've got to be able to look at something holistically and then you've got to be able to understand the detail as well. And just on that, like if you look at like um, look at the business world, you look at like some of the most successful companies in the world. So like Google, Facebook, um, as two examples, they uh, were created by their owners. So the owners can understand the the detail of it um, in the first place. So they understand the, the nooks and crannies, and then they understand the bigger picture as well. It's not just a CEO coming in, not understanding how they how what goes goes on at the coalface. I hope I hope that makes sense. I love that bubble analogy. That's actually really interesting. But I can vouch that, yeah. I mean, it's perfectly applicable to team sport, but also individual sports as well. Especially with taekwondo, you have to appreciate both the technical side and the tactical. Uh, both is very crucial. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, I kind of want to revisit your former background as a personal trainer and your interest in strength and conditioning. If you was to write a training program and yeah. you had to put an exercise in there, an exercise that most people don't do, but an exercise they really ought to be doing, what would that exercise be? Oh, good question. Um, I reckon uh, my my opinion is squat is the is the best exercise. Um, maybe I'm biased, but yeah, squat's best exercise. That I, I lower lower body movement. Um, but yeah, you know, you again. I'm saying more than one here, but um, you know, your deadlifts, and then you go into your Olympic lifting stuff. I think you the. Oh, I think someone described it as your, your, um, you know, your, your, your glutes and your your quads are the are the engine of a car, and you know your arms and your your chest are the, the you know, the things that make you look all shiny. But again, I, I'd always say always develop the engine, and that's not just for power athletes or strength athletes. It's for it's for everyone, isn't it? Like, you know, when you move fifty years later, if you've got that base. Um, quality of movement. I think that's that's the key thing. The squats, squats, are my favourite. So I, I, if if I had to pick one, it'd be that. Do you have a preference when it comes to squat? For example, back squat, front squat, or using a specific piece of kit? Uh, probably just uh, it's me. Probably an old school mate. It's it's moved on, but yeah, back squat would just be for me. I think um, used to love front squatting, but the flexibility in my shoulders wasn't quite good enough. Um, so I had to develop that a little bit more. Maybe I'm maybe I'm old school, but yeah, back squat. No, I absolutely love the power you feel whilst doing a back squat. But out of the three power lifts, I would argue that 
the back squat is the one I struggled with the most. Oh, really? Yeah, just long femurs makes it awkward. Yeah. But I've always been a massive fan of the Bulgarian split squat. Yeah. No, it's good. I, I think uh, going back to, again, this isn't my feel, but a lot of... Um, Lot of you see a lot of elite programs now using like single leg stuff, a lot of single leg stuff. Um, and we do a lot of that, like transfer transfer stuff with rugby as well. Yeah, I love the relevance in injury prevention and performance with the split squat. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So we're in the midst of this COVID nineteen situation, which means we're in lockdown. So, assuming that you have nothing else in your house, and you could only choose one piece of kit to train at home, one piece of exercise kit, what would it be? Only one. Yep, only one. Um, would like, um, for example, again, so I'm sti- just trying to stipulate the rules here. So, would a uh, would a Olympic lifting bar and two weights on the side count as one? Absolutely. Okay, that would be that would be it for me. I actually think um, as well. Just I, I think there's there's so many things out there you can do without equipment. Um, I think people have got this perception that you, that you can't. Um, I mean, like the uh, bands and stuff. You do so much stuff with that. I've, I've been using an app called Rip Deck, which is basically just body weight exercises. But you go through the deck of cards. Um, you go through a deck of cards, and then you basically each each uh, each suit is a is an exercise. So it'd be like press ups, lunges, squats, and um, what's the other one like sit ups. And then they throw like uh, two Joker cards in there as well, which would be like twenty burpees each. But you don't know when all this stuff's coming, so you might have like two press ups, then you might go into eleven sit ups, and then you go, you know, obviously you go on and you do your fifty two. I found that really good. But it's amazing. It, I think people think, oh, it's only body weight. But it's unbelievable the amount of, the amount of sweat you get on and you get competitive with yourself to beat your times and stuff. Okay, Rip Deck. I'll make sure I reference that in the show notes. And I totally agree with you. I don't think people do appreciate what they can get out of body weight exercise. I mean, from hypertrophy to being much stronger just by changing let's say the angle in which you lift when you're doing a press up if you're putting your feet higher that's going to add tension if you take one hand away and practice doing an eccentric one arm push up and eventually being able to do a one arm push up that's going to build strength that is definitely going to build muscle mass yeah it's like you said there's so many different options there isn't there what would uh what would be yours mate i'd be interested to know what what yours would be i love kettlebells absolutely love kettlebells they don't take up a lot of space and the shape of the kettlebell is particularly friendly. For example, if you get an adjustable dumbbell with a pointy edge, yeah, you can potentially bang your foot on it if you leave it on the floor and that absolutely stings like a bitch. <laughs> but yeah, my home gym at the moment is simply made up of two kettlebells, 124kg, 128kg and two fairly heavy resistance bands and honestly I just feel as though that's all I need at the moment yeah I like that that's a good one and I, I'm presumably I, I, I can only think of like two or three exercises but I bet there's so many different things that you could do off them 
Any exercise you could do with a dumbbell can also be done with a kettlebell. And in many instances, doing them with a kettlebell can be safer. For example, if you do a kettlebell shoulder press, it's a lot like an Arnold press. So you can actually play around with the angle. And as well as that, if you take a look at doing a bent over row with a kettlebell, I feel it's a lot safer on the wrist. Yeah, kettlebells are just perfectly practical for home use, really. Yeah. It's pretty much all my clients use. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I've, I've actually got, uh, I've got, uh, my wife managed to get some, some stuff from her, from her school. And there's actually um, an 8K dumbbell there. So I, I can give that a go this afternoon. Oh, cool. It's perfect. The thing is, you can actually do quite a lot with just one dumbbell. You don't need two dumbbells. And I think that's a common misconception. No. So this is a bit of a loaded question, admittedly, but I feel it's important. What do you think is the biggest problem in health and fitness today? I... Um... I don't know if this is the answer you're expecting, but my um, my opinion is I, I I think I referenced it earlier is just uh, sleep. Uh, oh well, if it's if you say the biggest problem, yeah, it'd be sleep for me. I think um, you look you look at science like sports science over the years and um, the advancements in in technology and uh, and you know science practitioner and. Um, the two things that remain constant and always go back to a coach always told me this is brilliant is uh, drink water to stay hydrated and sleep. Mm. And I, I think we were now like, I, I know I did reference it earlier. It was just, we're in a culture where um, we're not sleeping. And as you know, guess like you, you, your physical, uh, you, you know, your physical recovery and mainly comes from sleep and it's, I think it's the same with, with learning uh, like lots of stuff we've done in analysis around how people learn it, it comes back to this this notion of, of sleeping um, and understanding it and there's a great podcast by uh, it's like the Joe Rogan experience I don't know if you've seen it but there's a guy called Matthew Walker on there who's a, he's one of the leading researchers in um, in, in brain sorry in sleep uh, he's, I think he's British, but he lives in California, and it, it's honest. It's two hours long, but it, it's absolutely brilliant. It's mind blowing. Um, just some of the just some of the statistics on there alone will just blow your mind about the the, the benefits and the drawbacks of, of people sleeping or not sleeping. So I'll be my one. Yeah, Joe Rogan runs a fantastic podcast. So I'll share the link to that episode in the show notes. Perfect. But, yeah, when it comes to health, people often consider exercise and they consider nutrition. But they don't really consider much else, such as your day-to-day activity, as you said earlier, meditation, and your sleep, your hydration. And it all plays a massive role in becoming a happy, healthy, functioning human being. Yeah, de- no, mate, I definitely. I think that's, it's, like you say, so important Um for you to be able to, to to sell that message as well, because I think there's a perception that it's it's not that important. But and again, that's a skill of a coach, isn't it? To be able to to sell the message of of how important that is. Yeah. Um, again, I, I think they're all linked as well. By the way, like you know, you got um, you got sleep, you got meditation, you got um, 
you got training and you got eating. I think they're all linked. I, I don't think that I think to be to maximize everything, you're not just hundred uh, percent uh being the best uh, exercising. You need those other three things to facilitate that as well. And I think they're all they're all linked um from a mental and a physical point of view. I'm glad you brought that up actually because not enough people talk about important subjects such as sleep. Yeah. So, Kaz, this episode is coming to a close. So, I suppose the last thing to ask you, how could people reach out to you online? Um, I'm not very good online, to be honest, but I I, I mean, I'm happy to um, liaise with people. I mean, I've got a Twitter account, but to be honest, I'm although I've, I've retweeted a few things on there, it's probably not too informative. But if anybody uh, is, is fascinated or interested, um, then my email is, is Carwin Hugh Morgan, um, C-A-R-W-Y-N-H-U-W Morgan at gmail.com. So if anybody wants to reach out or have a discussion about any of that sort of stuff, I'm, I'm happy, to, happy to speak. And that brings this episode to a close. Thanks for coming on. No problems, mate. So, that's a wrap. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Please remember to check out the show notes over on coachgethin.com.